basically on three hours a day for eight years we did yeah um you can either you can either like give up and fall into it and free associate or you're dead and uh because the i remember the first couple of weeks I remember chris i had somebody on and i it was like our second show and uh I was so like nervous and rah, da, 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 you know, your stomach, you're all clenched up. And I asked somebody about the uh, the Soviet Union. Remember that? Some smart guy? Yeah, I think it was Rich Lowry, unless I'm mistaken. Yeah, hard to believe he'd lay me out. But uh, <laughs> and he, said, he said, you mean Russia? <laughs> I said, oh, yes, I mean Russia, of course. I think the Soviet, you know, when did the Soviet Union break up? When did, when did Yoko come? Um, I guess it was 69 or something. <laughs> I think it was let's let's put it let's put it at ninety one. You know that's that's when all the uh, when everything started to change. You know grunge killed the Soviet Union too, and uh, MTV killed the radio star. I think. <laughs> um, now later on in the show, around fifteen minutes, right? Carby's coming on. Yes, He'll sir. Burn it down. Best guest ever. It's like hi Dana. Uh, then, you know, you're hanging on to a <laughs> team of wild horses for. Uh, 40 minutes and then he says goodbye i gotta go now bless another show so uh dana carvey will be on and we'll talk to him and i want to thank everybody for feedback christian do you have any feedback at the end of the show we were going to carve out yeah. some time so i've got uh, anymore. i've got some notes uh from from the fans the friends of the show if you will uh just some uh, observations uh, people are very excited and they're going to be very excited that uh, we sound a lot better than maybe we have in recent weeks yeah, in a world filled with animus and balkanization, uh, there was unanimity on one one thing that we our sound was complete shit. So uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I sounded good, and and that's that's where the problem was is that I I should never sound better than the host. So henceforth, the uh, the Dennis Miller option will have good sound. So it is written. So let it be done. And, you know, the option title worked out. I was thinking when they said, what do you want to call it? I was going to call it something ethereal or, you know, something weird or arcane or something that made me, well, you know, it's a desperate effort on my part to look smarter than I am. The mists of Dennis Miller. Uh, I was going to call it Dennis X Machina. And then Norm, who's, uh, a, you know, a wizard about this stuff, said, how's uh, um, we calling it the Dennis Miller something? So we've called it the Dennis Miller option. Trying to play off the factor, although it, not the. I mean, two syllables, punchy, yeah. and we and we can eventually sell option gear. Yes, uh, I've uh, already got uh, some wind tunnel testing on the option doormats, and uh, so far they're <laughs> not the, flying off the shelves, but uh, they're out there. What about the Dennis Miller listening fez? On our old uh, radio show, we had something called the. Uh, was it called the DMZ fez? It, I can't it, remember. It, it was, was a, indeed, yeah. I, I'm looking at one here, by the way. I have one in the room, and it's uh, it, it's just uh, you know, we want you to sit down, relax, and you know, sort of like Sydney Green Street with a hookah and a you know a cognac and kick back and ruminate about the uh, the option. So we came up with a listening fez, and I think we sold around four. We had the worst on radio <laughs> store ever. We would order in. <laughs> It was like sick what we would order. I'd I'd say remember I had a Dennis Miller Whitland kit. Yes, and it was once again for you to sit and just whittle if you weren't you know prone to sit back in a in a chair and, and uh, you know act like you were in a in the uh, men's club in around the world in eighty days. But uh, I remember our guys ordered five. 
Also, wow. uh, our friend Rob Lorich, he sent my wife and I matching. He wrote his and hers, so he sent us two Whitland kits for my wedding. So uh, I'll always be in debt to uh, Mr. Lorich for that. <laughs> What uh, has Rob been in touch with uh, Gene Simmons lately? Yeah, I think uh, when we get to the mailbag, uh, you might find out that he has uh, gotten Gene to uh, leave us some glad tidings for the new show. Beautiful. Well, listen, folks, anytime you get sent out to sea by uh, Gene Simmons and you're not Ace Freely or Peter Chris, figuratively <laughs> speaking, of course, that's a different case when you get sent out to sea. But. Um, those those moments must be awkward, huh? Do you remember when Page and uh, and Planty broke off from uh, John Paul Jones? Now, obviously, yeah. the big the big B thumped out, but uh, they they had and then I think didn't didn't uh, did Daltrey and Townsend try to ditch out on and was uh, probably less so, but I do remember some awkward moment with John Paul Jones at their Hall of Fame induction. I was like, oh man, this has got to be really. Uh, awkward, but I, I somehow I, I could see Gene and Paul calling them in, and probably quicker than uh, <laughs> I don't think there was a lot of hand holding when they told them they were no longer in first dollar gross participation on Van Kiss. Um, we have to come up with some uh, for, for next week when you e- email in, we have to come up with some segments. They tell me, and I don't want to do the rants, Christian, but you know, we can do something like the rants, but uh, to call it the rants would be, uh, I don't even know if I own that anymore. You know how you end up, you find out you don't own anything? Yeah, like uh, like Letterman didn't own Stupid Pet Tricks when he went over to CBS. Wow, that boggles my mind. Um, <laughs> who, who owned that? Julie Chen? <laughs> well, they uh, they let Matt Lauer try it out for a little while. And, uh, <laughs> By the way, I see Roseanne's getting Muslim neighbors saw, on her show. I saw that. I'm uh, no, really, here's, I'm here's enjoying the, the Roseanne show. By the way, I just <laughs> I I have not seen it, but here would be the play for me that uh, they do get Muslim neighbors and they worry what if they're terrorists and they are terrorists. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a unique take? I mean, you know they're going to do the thing, you know, like the Norman Lear thing where they turn out to be the best people. Yeah. Well, what if they – what if it was more the Manhattan murder mystery or Rear Window, you know, where Jimmy Stewart and his girls start fantabulizing about Ray Burr and it turns out that he is, you know, he diced up the woman in the, uh, in the apartment across the way. And by the way, do you know who uh, – there's a musician in Rear Window. Have you seen Rear Window, Christian? Or, or are you still a voyeur, as a matter of fact? Well, I do look into a lot of Rear Windows, but I've also seen the film version. Yes. Well, the man who plays the piano – up in the uh, – by the way, these people all have beautiful apartments, you know, when you look. I, I don't know what part of New York that is. Is yeah. that Manhattan or is that way out near Zum Stammtisch, the, uh, <laughs> the German restaurant that my son and I went to that was <laughs> – it was so far out in the Queens that, uh, you know, literally we were, we were uh, eating with Joe Pesci's mom in Goodfellas. That's how far out it was. But Zum Stammtisch, a great Polish-German something restaurant. All those Eastern Bloc things the same to me. But uh, they had a big boot of beer and schnitzel and spatzel and all that. But it was so far out there in uh, in Queens. How did I get off on this, by the way? You, you were talking that. about Rear Window and the musician. Yeah, but why out there? Oh, oh. Because you weren't sure if they were uh, in Manhattan yeah, or where are the those other apartments? Yeah. But the guy who has the floor-to-ceiling windows and plays the piano um, is uh, Ross Bagdasarian Sr., no. And Ross Bagdasarian Sr. invented – that man in that shot invented the uh, the uh, chipmunks. Wow. 
just a little fun fact. I, I, happen, I, I happen to know his son. And uh, he was always proud that is naturally so that his dad was the guy up in the window noodling on the piano. And remember, I don't know if this is before or after. Imagine you're walking through and you have an under five part granted in a classic. And uh, it's a sweet little part. But, you know, uh, as you walk by, you have that lament where you now have sag dental. But you're wondering, where do I go from here? What do I do? i got to get a bigger part in this. I want to be the Ray Burr guy. And as you're thinking, you're not looking, and you've got your mate. You're the first person on the North American continent who's kiting in mate from Peru. And you accidentally hip, Bo Jackson, hip joint into the 78-45 RPM thing on your record player, and you're a billionaire. Like you cranked the speed up on some, <laughs> you, you, you know, you were listening to the... Uh, the, the, the Vantino brothers or something, and you accidentally hit 78 and all of a sudden, Christmas time, and you're rich as creases. Such are the vagaries of fate. Well, a man who uh, is also rich as creases but uh, has not invented anything chipmunk-related is our friend Dana Carvey, who has called in. Oh, believe me. I have been with Carvey during a chipmunk incident <laughs> at Lenox Hill <laughs> Hospital. I think you remember my friend Carvey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, we won't talk about it. So what's up, my friend? How are you? I'm uh, doing fine. I'm in an undisclosed location in uh, Hollywood, California. <laughs> Carve, you know what I'm looking at? I have a picture in my office of uh, I'm dressed up as Coco and Kevin's Mishu, or Kevin's LeBay, and you're Mishu, right? Is that what we called you? Yeah, Mishu, yeah. Coco Mission LeBay, we've all got clown suits on. We're in some simulated French countryside. <laughs> you look so much like one of those. Uh, remember Bowie had that uh, video? You're all dressed up and some boom, 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 boom. And Kevin, I don't even think Kevin could do this today because he's got himself all contorted up. He no doubt would get hit with some sort of uh, Quasimodo lawsuit for being, you know, uh, not having feelings or something. I'm standing there in a pink thing like I'm doing update, just with a big <laughs> yellow feather hanging off my head. But other than that, it's my inability to immerse myself into any sort of character study. But the three of us, Coco, Mishu, and LeBay, and I think uh, I did that on a dare, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I didn't really. It was the first season. You brought that the heavy guns out. I went, what is this? I mean, this you were an auteur in this one. This was your baby, right? Where did, I, where did you get that from? You had my you had the office next to me, and I remember sitting in there one night, and I said, I bet you if I made something artsy enough and ethereal enough and weird enough um, that I could get it on in one of the late segments. Because I think we had just gone through a late segment like Jim Downey had read, written um, – Thanksgiving on Jupiter, do you remember? <laughs> Where <laughs> I it was all about Robert. the density of the gravity, and the whole sketch was somebody would say, hey, pass the corn, and it would take five minutes. I said, I bet you I could get something weird on. And I hatched Coco, Misha, and LeBay, and we did two of them. And we did two. If we'd gotten to three, we would have got a movie out of it. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I did, um, just to hear Lorne say, funny little poopy head. You remember that one, right? Right. What was that? I, you float. You ran one up the flagpole. Yeah, I just I didn't know if it would get on, but I it was almost like a spoof of people trying to have hit characters because we had a little press press conference the second season, and they said, "Do you have any new hit characters?" And I said, "I I have one. Um, well, I have a catchphrase. That I I work. I get the catchphrase first, and I build the character around it. So the catchphrase <laughs> was, "I got to got to got to go." 
And they took, I took it serious. Like, that could catch on, man. So a few months later, I invented a character called Funny Little Poopy Head. And then he had a wife, Mrs. Funny Little Poopy Head. And in the stage direction, I'd have it say Funny Little Poopy Head, like, over and over and over again. Because it was just fun to hear that Lauren Michaels had to say it. Oh, Funny Little Poopy Head sits down. Funny Little Poopy Head is sad. It was just constant. Lovitz is purple. He knows what I'm doing. Jan is Jan Hooks, the late great Jan was playing the wife, and I'm going. I got the got the got to go, and then her catchphrase was, "And I'm a going with them." <laughs> Twenty minutes. Um, all right. Well, because yeah. Lauren, folks at the table read, Lauren was the interlocutor, the voice of God on. You know what would he have like fifty sketches, and, and Lauren would have to read all the, the connective paper. tissue, the sinew. Yeah. So it was just just went on and on. Funny little poopy head walks over. Funny little poopy head gets in his car. Funny little, it was just repetitive over and over. (laughs) You were gaslighting him. It's beautiful. And what was Jan's? And I'm gonna go too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going with them. And and you know what? You're making fun of catchphrases, but it always stuck on my head. I got to, got to, got to go. And I'm going with them. I don't know. Comedy's oh my weird. God. I, Jan Hooks was such a stone killer. Remember, she used to watch that video of uh, Mary Fran and Mary Hart. They did something called uh, July Fourth Rockin' Picnic or something. It was some live show <laughs> where they're on. You know, they're going to come out from behind the desk and and the uh, the check-in <laughs> desk on Newhart and strut their stuff a little. So they did Footloose out in a cornfield or something. I can't even remember. It was like 800 degrees, and they hyperventilate themselves, and they're doing that thing at the end where dancers I- explode out into an X and then put their hands together, you know, like old vaudeville, and they're completely yeah. gassed at that point, and uh, they're hyperventilating, and you hear Mary Hart go, everybody, <laughs> and then Mary Francis goes, Footloose! Footloose! <laughs> And uh, Jan used to watch that before she went on. <laughs> I'd watch it with her in her dressing room. She's like, okay, let's go fucking ruin this show. Let's go kill. <laughs> she did destroy. It was fun to watch her when she'd come on Church Chat and do that Tammy Faye Baker. Oh, she was in the pocket, Jesus. man. Absolute destruction. It was fun to watch. Well, listen, folks, I, I, I was there in the bunker. And, uh, you know, everybody has their own opinion. But to me... Carvey is the single greatest performer in the history of Saturday Night Live. And listen, there's t- you know, uh, Gee, I'm not thanks, doing that Dennis. like and there's nobody else. But for me, I just watched it too much. Always uh, just stone killed it. Even when the cheese was a little weak, the old man thing at the news desk. I used to hit you under the desk and say, what are you doing with this? And you would just <laughs> uh, you would lean into the rhythm and, and tell me to get screwed on the, the air. Oh, health care. We didn't have health care. Pink Eye was a death sentence. <laughs> I'd be sitting there bleeding with my weird arcania. And uh, this is like Gutenberg going down on the Pueblo with Lloyd Booker in the North, you know, and I'd get nothing. And then you'd come out and you'd devastate it and just leave. It was like Sergio Leone. I'd hear as you walked off into the distance. But um, I'm trying to think of some of the seminal moments that I. I remember Church Lady, obviously, the first time you did that. And I'm trying to think, uh, did they know at first? Because I remember when I first saw Church Lady, I opened for you in Portland, Oregon, I think it was. Or was it Seattle? Somewhere. And uh, I didn't quite get it at that point, but not that I didn't get it. I knew it was funny. I didn't know where you go with it. How was Church Lady received the first time you ran it up the flagpole? 
Well, if we have time, it, one thing that's kind of interesting is I did it at Read Through. It was my first week on the show. Um, mm. And at that point, it, it had become church chat, so it was a talk show, which I didn't know was a, was a great thing, because then I I would be in the center of the studio where Update was, which was really mm. good to be able to hear the laughs, right? So I did it at Read Through, and I guess it was kind of okay, but Neil Young happened to be in town, and it asked Lauren Michaels if he knew someone who could play an angry woman character. So Lauren was familiar with that. So on Wednesday night, we on Wednesday we read all the sketches. I didn't know the fate of Church Chat, whether it would be in the show, my very first show. But I went downtown, and I had the dress on. Neil Young was playing Madison Square Garden. And I came into the on stage and was telling him to shut the music down. So that was going on while they were picking the show. And I church chat barely made it in. It was the last sketch in the the practice show. Um, and then it decimated for whatever reason and got moved up to the uh, first sketch for the air show. No. But no, Carve, you're telling me before church chat becomes the biggest character in America that you are on stage at the garden just because Neil needs some uh, abrasive older dame and that's its debut in front of the garden? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if he even referred to me as the church lady, but that was, you know, the the interesting part was was that we had a, a censored guy named Mr. Clockworthy. Remember him with the boat? Yeah, Bill, late, greatest guy. His kid works for the uh, California Highway Patrol. I run into him once in a while when I'm trying to beat a ticket. So, so I I was told not to say penis too much on on you know on television. So I had to rewrite it um, the first week and make it a little more into you know naughty bulbous and your engorged loaf and all that. Of course, it became way more pornographic and, and any other kind of metric. So that when I was reading it at at one of the uh, the read throughs where we had like eighty people packed in a room, we all read the sketch. Uh, Steve Martin was the host, mm-hmm. and I'm really into it going, well, well, you're naughty, bulbous, and you're willing and gorge loaf, and you're really <laughs> digging in. And I hear Steve Martin lean into Lauren Michaels and say, what kind of mind thinks of this? <laughs> <laughs> and he was my hero. What kind of mind thinks of it? And bulbous and engorged. <laughs> it was Good such Lord. a weird uh, duality for us, and I'm not trying to sound too... To, uh... It's the word that fits there. That's why I used it. But it was such a weird, uh, like, confidence game we had to play that you're sitting there acting like you're in some way vaguely in the same canoe as guys like Steve Martin and that. And literally, like, on the other side of the uh, the, the Brandenburg Gate in, in your mind, you're com- you're completely blown away that you're sitting at a table with Steve Martin. I remember. The first five times I met him, it was all such a big bluff. I was trying to, he probably thought I was full of shit. I was so confident. But you have to, because if it seeps in that you're talking to Steve Martin when you're that unknown and just beginning, it blows your mind. Uh, the the whole mindfuck of that. I remember just being nervous, you know, when there'd be a host on Monday, you'd come in. I think, you know, say it could be anybody. I would never been on TV. William Shatner's down there if you want to go say hello to him. And then you'd walk down the hallway. And you think, well, in two minutes, I'll meet William Shatner. Or it might be Robert Mitchum or Charlton Heston is down there. So go through that door and you'll meet Charlton Heston. And it was like to, to almost overload. or well, it was overload stimulation. I mean, that's why we danced a lot. Remember, we go, I don't dance much anymore, but we put on this song, You, Me, Victoria, Kevin, just because of the stress. 
And for your listeners, Dennis was a really good dancer. You get on your toes. You had a rhythm. It was always in sync, <laughs> always on the beat, totally committed. And you, oh. moreover, I could tell this guy really needs to dance. Because you weren't a heavy drinker or anything. But boy, man, could you move. Garvey, I did everything you did backwards and in five-inch heels, is the great Ginger <laughs> Rogers. You you missed it the first year. You and I started a one year apart in the first year, if you can imagine this. Forget dancing. We're talking to the great Dana Carvey, who I love like a brother, by the way, and we talk a couple times a week. He's dear to me, and uh, if such we have such good bunker memories of being in that gladiator camp together. But in the first year, Carve Lorne would take us over to uh, some, you know, like uh, it was like an all that jazz studio on Forty Second Street up on the second floor, and he'd make us run improv games together. And oh my god, I remember lovely Denitra Vance and Terry Sweeney. And, uh, you know, Lovitz was great at it. He would fall into it. Nora. And then Lauren would insist. I'd say, Lauren, I'm just gonna, why don't you just let me be the DH? And, you know, I play a little rock and roll music, do the update, get out of there. I, I'm not going to be good at this. I would bring these improv games to a dead freaking halt. It was like the horse broke its leg in the back straight away, put the tent up and put me down. It was so <laughs> awkward. <laughs> 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 you were in the, the It's a Wonderful Life. You you came in as um, Harry. Um, yeah. yeah. Listen, yeah. I remember because I've only got like five parts and that's one that stuck. And I remember telling you beforehand, I said, when we knock Lovitz out of the chair, I really start to hurt him. Let's beat the shit out of him. So <laughs> I, I'm on Lovitz really just wailing, you know, try, you know, try to hit him in the nether regions, but not in the frontal nether regions, in the ass. I don't want to, you know, hurt that him. That was one of those. Literally hit him as hard as I can. <laughs> well, yeah, we did pound on Lovett's heart, and he deserved it. But it was just funny how it all that whole thing came together. Like, you looked like your guy. They had me looking like Jimmy Stewart. You know, all of a sudden, Bill is Uncle Billy. And just something about that sketch. Mm -hmm. Just sort of like the cast, we really could. Uh, yeah, you look just like, you know, you did, Carve. You had that uh, innocent energy. And we, for those of the uninitiated, it starts at the end, uh, you know, where Jimmy's uh, and it was, it was Jan as Donna Reed, right? And you, you've got uh, yeah, lost, little Fufu or whatever yeah. her name is, Zuzu's well, pedal. Mr. Potter still got all the money. We gotta go get <laughs> the money. Because <laughs> <laughs> everything, he just he had a, an epiphanal vision of angels, but the money was gone, and Mr. Potter was still in control of the town. So we just beat the living shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> It was so much fun. I was with Carvey once. Um, like I said, it, it was funny that my office was in proximity to Carvey because I used to watch. Uh, listen, we were friends. I would sit, sit there like you're gobsmacked all the time with your friend. But I did like it when I knew somebody was coming in to pitch him something like Schmeig or somebody would do Regis. And they'd come in and Carvey doesn't have a Regis. And they would bring like uh, it was almost like communicating with the aliens at, cl at the end of 2000 or uh, Close Encounters, where all you needed was uh, like a five uh, five beat iambic to capture the guy. And I think they brought a Regis tape in on some like old Vic Morrow combat walkie-talkie reel-to-reel player. I remember the technology, not quite what it is now. And they oh, yeah. they play Regis, well, and then they go, "You think you can do this?" And by the time they'd leave the room. You had, uh, well, how much hay did you get out of Regis? God, you killed that thing. Anyway, and, ready for this. I remember, I remember when he, uh, you know, he, he talks when he's kind of down talking. You know, you're terrific. I understand. <laughs> you know, they wanted me to name my book. Uh, I'm out of control. I had to tell him I never said it. Dad of God, he said that. <laughs> he never said, <laughs> I'm out of control. 
<laughs> it's like Bush with the uh, not uh, wouldn't be. I think he ended up once again. I think he ends up uh, doing that. What about that? I remember some weird story where you and you went to visit Bush and stayed overnight. Mm-hmm. And to tell that thing about you guys <laughs> watching TV or something bizarre like that. <laughs> or just oh, sitting yeah. around a TV room having a libation? Oh, yeah, we were having cocktails. That's when he said, why don't you do that impression you do of me right now, right here? And there was a couple other people in the room, and I did try to get out of it. I was embarrassed because, you know, it was such an exaggeration. I go, it's not very good. He goes, do it. <laughs> do it now. <laughs> Got a few seconds. And then he put me on the spot. There was Secret Service guys were everywhere. There was one right outside the door. Why don't you yell out for Steve out there, see if you can get him to come in, like you're the real deal. And so I had to kind of, Dave, it's the president, come on in here. And the guy did kind of lean his head in, and Bush thought that was the funniest thing that had ever happened to him. Come on, let's do shooters, call the premier of China. <laughs> it really, it really does take on a surreal lilt when you realize how integral Saturday Night Live is to this culture. That you can take it across so many different platforms. To use a word that didn't exist when I was on it, but and people are interested. Imagine that Bush, uh, you know, their their minds are blown. They're flattered too. I remember uh, that when we. Uh, did the show we would always get the the next team in uh the young kids because uh, there'd be an attrition rate each year and then they'd start yeah. hiring uh new people and i was sort of like lou gossett jr my job was to go in and tear you know guys who in the future were going to have uh you know uh gross points on over a billion dollars worth of films but i would go I and slap them around a little and I, you mentioned neil young earlier do you remember neil young when he first saw farley Oh, I remember that was one of my favorite moments because Neil would come around and that was one of my idols besides McCartney musically, just, you know, all-time favorite, Neil Young. And I ended up at the party with him actually the night before I went to visit the president in uh, in Washington. And, and Neil at the time, not known as a hardcore Republican or everything, he just said, it's a human thing, man. It's a human thing. We're there, and he's drinking red wine. Then he looks up, he sees Chris Farley, and he said, quote, that fat kid's funnier than shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I just loved it. It was such a, such a funny uh, non sequitur. That fat kid's funnier than shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, my, my. Remember that? I used to do him all the time, too. I know. A man needs... Made God for right four albums in a row there. That's like uh, <laughs> that's like uh, you know somebody in the ultimate zone. The the great Neil Young. And well, not everybody I was, was Neil Young though. Carp, you got to remember some of those hosts came in and it was like right off the bat Monday night at the pit session. You'd think, uh oh, this this could be weird. Either they'd have no sense of irony. Or they'd come in. I remember Seagal came in and some Alan Carr caftan or something sat down with a Iroquois <laughs> braid. I thought this could be a long week here. I don't know if my man gets it. Do you remember Seagal? Oh, Seagal was one of the greatest. Very interesting. You know, he had all these conspiracy theories, and he was. And so Kevin and I wrote a Hans and Franz, these Arnold Schwarzenegger cousins who weren't too bright but worshipped Arnold. We wrote a sketch 
that we read at the read-through with Seagal, and they were just taunting him like, Arnold's stronger than you. Your buttocks are like marshmallows compared to Arnold's. And he's kind of reading, but sort of quiet. But the sketch got on the show. And on Thursday, we're running it again on, on the rehearsal stage with Seagal, me and Kevin. Yeah, Arnold could flick you with his little finger, you know, that one. You could fly across the room and you'd land in your old baby poop, Mr. Seagal. And so we're doing it, and he's getting kind of quieter and quieter. We take a break. He walks over like 40 feet away, and he's just standing there. And I thought, what? what's wrong? What's going on? We need to start again. I walked over to him. I go, hi, Stephen, you okay? And he just looked up and said, quote, I just wish Arnold was here so I could kick his fucking ass. <laughs> I took it so serious that we had to rewrite the sketch to keep it on air. So we rewrote it and we decided, no, only one person can beat up Arnold. Steve Sagar. So then six months later, I run into Arnold at a restaurant in Santa Monica. He's leaning back with the cigar. He's on the, pat, on right. the uh, patio. And I told him the story of what Steven Seagal said. He says he wants to kick your fucking ass. And Arnold had like a foot-long cigar and just said, is that a fact? <laughs> <laughs> that um, I, I have the privilege, folks, I must tell you. And you're never going to believe it. You're, Dana, I went to Carol Burnett's 50th birthday party. Or not birthday oh. party, a 50, the 50th anniversary of her show. And do you know who comes up to me in the crowd? Shim Shimaleski from the Swatch Tour. Remember that cat? Oh, yeah. The Swatch Tour. Wow. Remember he could curl up like a boa constrictor or, or like a, a hound dog in front of a fireplace and just curl in on himself in a coach seat. We were still flying coach, I remember. And he could sleep anywhere. He comes up to me now. He's a huge player. I think on Comedy Central or something. And a super nice guy. But he's a, as soon as I looked wow. up, I remembered that face. What I'm talking about, folks, is... We did a tour, Kevin and uh, Dana and I. And when was it, Carl? Your first year on SNL or after right the first after year? Right after my first year. So it would be the summer of 87. <laughs> so 30 years ago, we go on tour and Swatch subsidizes it. I think we're catching minimum Gitas, right? They give us a taste and a, like two free Swatches or something, you know. Which, yeah. Uh, so we go out and we do the gig. But I do remember some highlights. I remember, remember Johnny Travolta came once when we were in Denver, came out on stage. Do you remember that noise? Oh, yeah. And I was doing Travolta. They sent him out. I didn't know he was there. So I'm out there in those days. I would do Travolta, you know, like John Travolta is an astronomer, you know, you know, it's really weird. Like the earth could be round or some shit, you know, and I'm doing all this Travolta type stuff. You know, that thing. And uh, he's just walking up behind me, taps me on the shoulder, the classic, you know, and I go, Clark, it was one of the loudest noises. I've oh, ever went, heard. And I remember going out with him in New York one night and Sammy, who's his best. Kevin's one of his best friends, right? And I call him Sammy because yeah. Dana and Kevin used to do a thing called a couple of Sammys that I absolutely loved. It was just two guys who couldn't get off the launch pad in their basement. And they're called a couple of Sammys and they'd always eat Chinese food and they'd have great ideas. And then they'd say, we should do that. And then they'd sit there for a second and watch ESPN or something. And then they'd go, ah, Sammy, there's another thing we're not going to do. So yeah. Sammy and Sammy and I are on the road and Travolta comes up. But one night it was with Sammy in Manhattan and we went past, uh, you know how the restaurant, uh, 
what's the restaurant that has the great pasta carbonara in Venice? Uh, I, I forget. They're, they're all over the place, but they have a couple in New York and they make mm-hmm. great uh, mimosas. But they have like a half curtain on the window. And I remember we were walking with John Travolta, Harry's Bar, it's called. There's a bunch of them in New mm-hmm. York, like two or three. So we're walking past something like Harry's Bar where they have that curtain halfway. We were talking about mm-hmm. John, and John had just done something called the Misfits or something, something about uh, that Russia took over, uh, like a, and uh, you know it was it was pre Pulp Fiction, and you know when you look back on Greece and uh, and Saturday Night Fever, he's the biggest star on the planet, and now he's in a bit of a nadir. Oh, yeah. But we walk by, and John looks in the window, and I remember Carvey. It was like Jesus Christ was doing the loaves and the fishes thing. Everybody in that restaurant looked up like in a wave, and had an explosive like i can't believe i'm seeing this guy like he's fictional look on their face and i remember thinking well this cat i don't know when he's coming back but he's coming back pretty soon but he was when he walked out in denver it was just like crazy they couldn't believe it's actually him you know i i would say of you know probably of meeting all these kinds of superstars at that level that kind of actor um he he just is really fun to hang out with and very sweet when yeah. he came around to visit Saturday Night Live, he hosted it later. He was, um, like you said, he was not at the peak of his career. He had no edge about him. He was really business savvy. He was the guy who told me, he goes, you know, you want to save a lot of money so you can live off the interest. And I always remember that. So, Imagine that, I turning your, that. your financial counsel over to Barbarino. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's a little you know, I, I, I'm with. I currently, by the way, have my money with uh, Robert Hedges in a hedge fund over there, and I've got some. We got a little. I, I get a little taste of Bitcoin with uh, Horshack. Now, one of the other things that happened on the road on that Swatch tour, I do remember. We were in St. Louis. Carby and I were the worst flyers in the world. Kevin, quite frankly, he, he was like the Red Baron or Eddie Rickenbacker. Nothing bothered yeah, Kevin. But we were and, terrible. Uh, yeah, you and I. Train wrecks. I mean, literally, we have to start drinking during the day to get through Remember the flights. Remember we'd <laughs> say, you, Dennis would always say to me, we're getting on the plane and, and we're, you know, we're taking off whatever. And he goes, Carby, if you see anything, anything at all, I want to be the first to know. <laughs> <laughs> we traded it like a World War II mission taking flak. <laughs> right. We, we got a James Whitmore movie about it because you'd look over at me and go, Big lady sitting down hard. Big lady sitting down hard. And then when we'd go into cloud formations, I'd always, big lady tasting cream. Big lady. We always used walkie-talkie well, we language. We're so damaged. And so for stress purposes, just for your listeners, when the plane would lift off, I would always say, and I guess you guys started to say, sit up. Sit, ladies. Sit up. Because it's like the front wheel <laughs> takes off. Sit up. Sit up, sweet. Get up. Come on. Get up. Get up. Get up, lady. You know, and that's how we were taking off. And then we get we get above the clouds, and Dennis would go, "Lady, sitting on some cream, you know." And then it was always, "Sit down, sit sweet, sit for me, lady, sit pretty." And then months later, I get some plane lost an engine, and Dennis called me and just left the message saying, "Lady lost an earring in Detroit." <laughs> when we would land, it was so funny. The instant we would touch the ground, you'd hear that first skid, and the tire burn. Carvey would throw his uh 
the seat fell off, which isn't even safe in a way. That's when you need it, but just for purposes of the bit, because invariably we had six pilsners in us at that point. You would take it off like Larry Mahan getting out of off yeah. a Bronco. You would remember you would throw your seat oh, belt. Yeah, I just clip it and throw it. Before that, I would do this big swoosh, kind of like a rodeo guy. The way he'd wrap wrap the the uh, thing around his hands, a rope. So I would get, pull it really tight on takeoff, like a rodeo ride, sit up, sit up. Oh. And then right as soon as those wheels hit, I would just explode that thing off. Yeah. Honest to God, it got me through all that because I wasn't a good flyer at that point. But it would make me laugh so hard that in a weird way, I would look forward to it. But I do remember in the middle of that tour, I, I swear it's St. Louis. I might be wrong. But you and Kevin come to the car. We're going out to the airport or going to the gig. And uh, we referred to these characters earlier. They become much beloved. And Stephen Seagal <laughs> talking about Arnold, uh, who they're built right. on. But I think I'm there at the first instant. You and Kevin hatch Hans and Franz. Do you remember that day? Oh yeah. I mean, Kevin had lived in Austria for a while, uh, you know, in his teenage years or something. So he was pretty natural with the accent. And we saw Arnold on TV. And we on the E Network, him. right? I think it was the E network yeah. or something. And Arnold is the kind of guy, even uh, even to, to this day, and he's recovering and wishing the best. Uh, he's just someone who has this very simple, positive life, and he always says it out loud. His agenda. So he was talking about staying in a hotel, and we just loved the rhythm and positivity. We became possessed with him saying, "You know what you do? You get to the hotel, and you you go to the stairwell, and you do the." the repeat stair climbs up and down, up and down, and you break a nice light sweat. You take a nice warm shower. You put on the moisturizing <laughs> of the muscles, and then you put on a, a nice light white cotton shirt, and you're ready for the evening. And that was poetry to us. So we repeated that for weeks, right, basically. Uh, <laughs> the whole exactly. trip. It, it made it yeah. just wore me down, not in a bad way. People always say, you must have got sick. No, I loved it every time. It got to the point where I'd hear the first syllable of light, white, white, light. Cotton shirt, <laughs> and you're ready for the evening. These are the things you do. And when he would call me to do political events, he would always say stuff like, you know, the agenda would just be out in the open. You know, Danagani, I come out there. You could come to the event. And I say hello to the people and all these things. And then I introduce you and you get the press call, everybody laughing and all these things. And then you bring me back up and they're ready to hear the message. And then I bring you back up. You say a couple more quips to relax everybody. And they hear the comedy and the politics. You know, of course, okay, I'll go. If you shut up, I'll be there. I love that about Arnold. And sometimes with some of my brothers, when, uh, uh, well, you're, one of my, you're, my other, you're my brother from another mother, but we will say, what would Arnold do? Because we just think of him as like insanely positive, like, you yes. know, not negative. <laughs> to this day, Carve, I have a hard drive sort of random non sequitur tag that I throw on a big laugh in my act where I say, and a strict regimen of diuretics a fortnight out from a major competition. I don't even have anything to do with it, but it used to always crack me up that Arnold seemed to always be two weeks out from a major competition, and he would be <laughs> cutting weight, and he would uh, have a strict regimen of diuretics. We're talking to the great Dana Carvey, and I think uh, I know Carve's uh, sons are doing some comedy now. Uh, mm -hmm. And how how are uh, 
Dex and Tom? Do they do they have chops or well, of course you love them. So, you, but I'm just saying, do they have chops like you, where you have such an ear, or do they have uh, chops that are more about language? Or tell me about your boys. Yeah, I think you know they have different different styles. I'd say Dex might be more adept at voices, and Tom has kind of a um, you know sort of a natural rhythm on stage. So you mm-hmm. know they're they're different. I, I, it wasn't my idea. But they love it, and the cool thing about show business, obviously, is there's just so many ways to do it now. I mean, obviously, for you and I, it was either Carson or um, or or Lauren, basically, were the two mm-hmm. big moves. If it was in a sitcom, that was it. So right. I think it's not. It, it's actually a pretty good time to be doing this because you know there's so much, so many places to do it. It's fantastic. So. Well, I was always event. my mind was blown when I met you and realized what you had tried before. You be, I mean, somebody. I, I have to give them this. They were all seeing that you had something special because, you know, when I worked with you on SNL, it always blew my mind that you used to do the ops in the copter on uh, what was that called, Blue Thunder? Well, you, you and Jimmy Ferentino were on some uh, flexible or, or plywood helicopter out in the back lot in the valley or something. Do you remember that? <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, I did a lot of television. I just did not have the confidence. I was doing the clubs on the side, and because I had sort of a innocent look or something, I got fairly consistent work, you know, and one of them was Blue Thunder. Blue it was Thunder. on ABC for 11 weeks, um, and I would play Clinton Wonderlove. I was the sidekick, and, um, <laughs> and Tarantino was not happy that he was doing the show. And one day he got out of the fake chopper. We were just in the soundstage. They'd shake the chopper around and throw fog at us. And he, had, he had lines like Jaffo, because my name was just another frustrated observer, my nickname. Jaffo, jam him. And my lines, I had a little helmet on. I go, I am jamming. I am jamming. Cut. Lunch. <laughs> it wasn't a career move. But I jam him, Jaffa. That's my. That's all I'm going to say to you for the next few weeks when we talk. Jaffa, <laughs> yeah, Jaffa. Yeah, but he was. I was straight vodka in like 14 ounce styrofoam cups, and he would Jimmy. take the script out, rip it out, and slam it on the instrument panel. So it was like little cue cards in front of him. They'd start shaking us around, throw the fog at us. But the weird part was one day I'm up there, they're throwing the fog. And I am jamming. I am jamming. Then they cut. They cut, and they came over and said, come down the ladder. There was like 100 people watching me. So I came down the ladder, and they said, we're letting you go. <laughs> In front of everybody. Yeah. Fuck. I got fired. <laughs> tough, I got fired tough sub, as Mike said. Tough sub. <laughs> Wasn't, I, I can't imagine that the treatment was any more uh, a delicate bedside manner under the great Mickey Rooney. <laughs> Didn't you and Nathan do a Mickey Rooney show way back when? Yeah, I was, I'd gotten some kind of holding deal from NBC, and then and Fred Silverman, the head of NBC, said, there's Mickey Rooney's grandson. So the next thing I know, I'm in New York, in Rockefeller Center, star, co-starring in a sitcom with Nathan Lane, Scatman Carruthers, and Mickey Rooney. And Mickey Rooney was the craziest person I ever worked with. And I tell me, tell me. His catchphrase was, "I was." he was the most bitter human being ever, but he's brilliant, but he's like... I was the number one star in the world. You hear me? Bang. The world. Now, that was exactly how he said it all day long for months. <laughs> you come in, and from like 200 feet away, you're hearing him ranting. They killed her. Who? Judy Garland. They killed her. They, 
pumped her so full of drugs they killed her. How long has Robert Redford been in the business? Ten years? I've been in the business. One of these guys where his length in the business was about three months shorter than his entire lifespan. <laughs> I've been in the business 30, 61 years. What is 61 and a half? I had... I called up the head of Warner Brothers in 1955. I said, this is Mickey Rooney. I need a job. He hung up on me. <laughs> I was the number one star in the world. I called up my business manager. He said, this is Mickey Rooney. I'm broke. He said, how can you be broke? I have a yacht named after you. <laughs> <laughs> He's a direct quote. Direct oh, quote. Oh, my God. Carly, just to think he that had they had the ultimate... He'd bring out his gun. They're not going to get me. You know what I'm going to do? There was a serial killer, Ron Caron. He said before he got the show, he, he was going to go in there and go, Hi, I'm Mickey Rooney. Remember me? Then I was going to plug him full of holes. <laughs> and he's holding his gun, telling the story. <laughs> I remember Ron Caron. He was doing the agricultural workers, wasn't he? You know, the, so, the, that, that was his thing. He was burying people out in the, the onion fields, the uh, Joseph Wambonoff or something. He was course, way Mickey, out in the agricultural part of the state, Juan Corona. Mickey I think at Juan one was point done. put his arm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, Mickey at one point put his arm around Nathan Lane, looked at me and said, I'm just glad we like girls. This <laughs> <laughs> all true. There's so much more. But, oh, yeah. you and Nathan must have been on the ground. Carvin, in closing, I got to say that lately you you must be burning it down when you're doing these appearances. Because people say to me, "Did you see Carvin?" And I'm I I don't stay up and watch much talk shows, but somebody told me, and I didn't even know you had Trump. Have you worked out a? Is it a rhythm Trump? Is it an accurate Trump? Is yeah, it just the bombast? Or what? Are, what are you working on, Trump? Oh, just a rhythm Trump. I mean, I just like, for example, I, you know, I've floated out. He may get the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, you know, it's hard to say that to certain audiences. Like, I guess he's going to, you know, and it, and then I just do the silly rhythm. You know, I love the Nobelians. I love the Nobels, the terrific. Many people would say, I love prizes. I love Cracker Jacks. I love Cracker Jacks, caramel cone and nuts. Many people, the best for snack with prizes. I love prizes. Magnifying glass like you can't believe. You put it on it. Yeah, size of a house. Many people are saying a ring <laughs> that is a whistle. Two together, two things. Many people are saying. tremendous. Excuse me, excuse me. Many people are saying. And all the nicknames too. I I do love the nicknames. Crooked Hillary, Pocahontas, Little Rocket Man, Tiny Rocket Man, Teeny Teeny Tiny Rocket Man. I think that got in his head so far. I mean, and I do think of like if Obama. Talk like that, that would have shocked me. Little Rocket Man. Little Rocket Man. <laughs> call you Little Rocket Man because you're short of stature when you have a tendency to fire projectiles into the air. Well, and I'm I telling do, you, folks. One that I, do that I do like. Just that how Obama would sing and how that was so charismatic when he would sing. We're going we're gonna to work together. Let me, let me say it like this. Amazing grace. You know, it was really pretty brilliant. What's Trump going to sing? The cook and the creepy, the kind of cook, the creepy, the cook and the creepy, out of family. So that just makes me happy. Either that or Trump would sing, No one knows what is right to be the bad man, to be the sad man. Hi, thanks, come over. I can't get it out. Oh. You always beat so the shit out of me. me. 
Oh, Carvey. Well, folks, I saw Dana Carvey, like I said, in Portland. I was opening for him. I watched the guy. And who would have thought that I'd uh, meet probably my best friend in life? I mean, I love him like a brother. <laughs> very great and, friends, yes. <laughs> and to think, uh, I don't know, man. If I was a young kid and I was in that uh, the non-vernacular comedy game, I wouldn't want to watch you because it'd be one of those things where you just think, oh, fuck, I'm out. What am I going to do? It's like Peter Noon told me he went and saw McCartney and Lennon when they came back from Germany. You know, uh, when they had the 10,000 hours under their belt, like Malcolm Gladwell said, <laughs> Peter Noon from Urban Service. So I watched that suicidal. I thought, fuck, <laughs> the, the bidding's over. And that's that's what it must be like for a young comedian watching you. You're a genius, brother, and a, a better man you, than that. <laughs> I bet, Dennis. Love you, buddy. All right. I love you. Dana Carvey, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. The great Dana Carvey. Um, before we move on, I just think it's worth mentioning Dana Carvey's on Twitter at Dana Carvey and on Instagram, the Dana Carvey and DanaCarvey.com for all of your Dana Carvey needs. I don't know who's who's better than that. I mean, really, uh, you're talking rarefied air there that, that can recount and mix. That's him and Marty, right? Those are the two cats on the planet. Yeah, no, I mean... Uh, Marty they, Short and Dana Carvey that can... Because uh, they go from <laughs> storytelling to characters and just, you know, especially at this point in both of their careers, there's just so much they can look back on. Like, I've I've heard the Mickey story, Mickey Rooney story before, and there's always something new. Every time there's something that uh, that I don't remember, like the fact that he carried a gun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's just, just the fact that as soon as they would open that huge soundstage door and he'd get out of the car and walk four feet in, Dana could hear... They killed her. <laughs> and those Jimmy Ferentino stories always kill me because, you know, Jimmy's no doubt at that point phoning it in. You know what it's like out in the valley. You're sitting in a fake helicopter. It must be a thousand fucking I, degrees. I, I live, oh, in, I, I live in the valley. I know very well what it's like. Christ, that's funny. Anyway, the great uh, Carvey and uh, I, Christian, we had asked, uh, look at Shawnee Gosser coming back in. Where'd you go, Goss? We're producing the show here. You're the producer. We're not, only Goss, you got some backup thing. Are you doing a Derek Fisher podcast or what? Are you, oh, there you go. No, he had, to, um, he had to produce a growler in the uh, downstairs. Latrine. Yo! <laughs> we had to bring some of those... Uh, um, well, there's that thing on the radio show called next week. Can you write a um, chimp doctor? Do you remember that? Sure. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The chimp doctor, you know, I mean, he, he continues to practice, but he only works a couple days a week now, you know, because he's got the whole chimp family and uh, he had the chimp TV show for a little comes bit in on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. As I remember the bit, it was a long diagnosis or a long question about a very precise diagnosis. And then it always had a succinct button. So let's write a chimp doctor for next week. And by let's, uh, I don't mean, I don't want you to think let us. You know, I know that's an abbreviation. It's let you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I know. Yeah. Let you. I didn't want you to come in next week and assume that I would have any participation <laughs> in that chimp doctor. Hey, hey, Dennis, where's the chimp doctor piece you wrote? <laughs> Did you write a Quack Brothers too? Yeah, for a second I heard you all optimistic thing and let's and you thought Dennis and I are gonna play together. Can, a can, pipe can I drive up and we'll you know, we'll hatch some ideas, we'll have a little rap sesh. Yeah, let me fill in the moat. Now listen, <laughs> we had asked uh for uh suggestions or questions and uh I was thinking that the uh, Mark Gerbert's assistant, Abigail. Yes. Who's delightful. 
And she always has good ideas and she listens to a lot of podcasts. And she said she liked the rhythms of the podcast, but she said we have to get more codified uh, segments that people remember or, you know, have a hook. Like she said something about Seth Meyers does something called Factor Florida or Real or Florida. I can't remember. But she said we should try to get some segments. So I think at the beginning of the show, if we don't have a guest like Carvey or if we go to a couple of these a week per chance – um, the one could be guest oriented and one could be, um, I had an idea for the first segment called some shit to talk about. <laughs> I like that. And I, I, I don't know if anybody has a better title. You can send it in next week. And, uh, then at the, uh, the, uh, end we could just say, um, some shit at the end. I mean, uh, probably I like, better titles. What no, about I, this? I, I like both topics those in the, Hey, you, <laughs> Yeah, now I'm picking up what you're putting down. Word bling. <laughs> That's my posse of verbal. Dennis Miller is in the hizzy. <laughs> Some hip thing that the kids will like. But we do have a mailbox thing. And we'll have to think. Somebody send us a mailbox name. Because everybody uses mailbox. Yeah, because all I've got is uh, I, I've just got you know, the mailbag, and uh, these are all electronic. They're actually not out of a mailbag. But uh... drop the mic box. <laughs> drop the box. Yeah. Right, go ahead. How go about ahead. how about reacts with an X? All right, that's what I've got. We've got the reacts from uh... Jason Witten's going to do Monday Night Football. I did not and see that. Says, does this going to be a quote surprise? Uh huh. Started here first. <laughs> Comment. <laughs> this is a more polarizing figure in the history of football. Anyway, I was that concussion doctor before the concussion doctor was the concussion doctor. <laughs> All right, so what's the mailbox now? Ask me. Uh, we've uh, we've got some feedback. Uh, Eli Rosebud at Eli Rosebud on Thanks. Twitter says you talk about authentic great podcast these two guys are buds talking about all caps you name it and you get to listen in the good thing is it's dennis miller and christian dmz my advice to eli and everyone else who sends comments you should just have comments for dennis don't compliment me uh you're more likely to be read on the air if you don't compliment me uh jay christian snedeker wants to know when we'll have orson bean on the show which i think is a great suggestion oh, let's get the bean yeah, yeah. bean invited me he's doing some uh God, he works hard. How yeah. old is he? I haven't worked that hard. I'm 64. When did I quit working? Uh, it was a year before the radio. <laughs> 2006. <laughs> <laughs> I used to come into that radio show. Chris, I'm not kidding you. We'd go on the air at 7.06, yep. and I would get up at 5 to 7, scrub my teeth, and have a quick Nespresso and come into the studio, and then you'd tell me who was on. And I thought um, – did I ever think I'd get to the point I was in a bathrobe? By the way, are you still putting those bathrobe sessions up on the uh Yeah, people will see them on Twitch. Twitter and uh, Instagram. Yeah. Or sorry, uh Twitter and Facebook is what I believe. Oh, where here's a joke I wrote. Hey, how's about I don't wanna practice socialism because I don't wanna culturally appropriate Venezuela. <laughs> it wrote better than it sounded. It's a little too stilted. Um so um What's the next uh, mailbox? Uh, a uh, guy who goes online at Big Silly Jerk. Love to hear you again, Dennis. Glad the audio is improving. I think I'm going to start wearing my DMZ bathrobe in the car while I listen to the show. I remember Paul. Uh, I won't say his last name. I don't want to embarrass him. He's the sweetest guy, but he's my publicist. 
And uh, <laughs> every time you take it, does this make you laugh? Because I, I was there one time at the Tonight Show. Every time I would do a talk show, they'd give you a bathroom. And it was uh, – and Paul would always come uh, – what did Bernie call it? When when you go – Bernie Brillstein used to always say you go – you sit the – something it's like the Glen Gary sits or something. Cover. You have to go cover a guy's talk show appearances. He was very big on that. Even you know when in his management thing, he said periodically it's got to be hands on. The guy's got to look up in the room when he's in the bunker, scared shitless, and see you across the room. So he hard drives you, and doesn't mind you know that. And listen, I have a great relationship. I love Gerwitz, but I, I guess sometimes they got to see you. And Bernie would say it has to be has to be covered, and that was Paul's thing. He'd cover my Tonight Shows, or he'd cover my Tom Snyder's, and they'd always give me a bathrobe. And always I could almost set it, it, Greenwich Mean Time wasn't as a uh, as precise or as a Greenwich Standard Time wasn't as set as Paul around fourteen and a half. Or, uh, Paul, he was my old builder. Sorry, it wasn't Paul. <laughs> Imagine me. I didn't want to reveal the actual guy's name. We revealed the guy who built my first house. Good. Um, Paul used to say, uh, "You don't want that room." <laughs> you, uh, so you uh, want me to get rid of this for you? And I remember I, I went to see you backstage at the Tonight Show with a friend of mine who was in town. And you gave it to my friend, and you told me later it was just like, yeah, I didn't know if your friend wanted it. I just didn't want Paul to have it. Well, you had to break the rhythm. Paul had yeah. like 30 robes. Yeah, what are you going like to do with that many? He's like one of those guys who brings Tonight Eastern Bloc hookers over to Bahrain, and they've got a bunch of different fitting robes in the closet or something. Yeah. It was like he must have had 40 robes. So anyway, um, and I, I'm sorry I said the other guy's name. Maybe we should whap that out just because people don't like to be in, involved on the radio on these – these polarized times. Uh, what else we got from the mailbox? Anybody see Tesla, by the way? You got to watch this documentary. I'm just looking at loose notes I put down for suggestions. Might not be comedy. Not comedy, as a matter of fact, but just suggestions. Watch this thing on Netflix. Netflix has absolutely everything now. I mean, they must, there's, there's only one thing they don't have. I pitched them a special, I saw Roadrunner Cloud heading off <laughs> into the distance. They had a French comedian last night. Honest to God, it was like that French. Remember, there used to be a French uh, voice guy who would come down from Montreal, and he would work in America 200 days a year. I remember, he'd always come down, and his opening bit was, "I do not know your." I'm thinking, shut the fuck up. You know our language. <laughs> You're printing money here. But anyway, it was a French comedian special last night. But I watched this thing, Tesla, absolute madman, but a genius. The alternating, and they explain alternating current. So, uh, so you can actually understand it a little. Um, with mailbox, Christian, and then we'll, we'll boot out of here because we got to do the sports one. I don't know how long the sports one's going to last. I like doing the sports one, but I don't think – I think, you know, in the sports one, you've got to be more knowledgeable than I am. We're sort of doing the uh, raconteur thing with sports, and I notice I quit following sports. It would appear to me somewhere near in Ron Swoboda's career <laughs> because I don't have anything <laughs> – it's always if I go to a reference, that Eddie Matthews can hit the ball. And the kids are thinking, oh, who? 
anyway, uh, any last questions? Yeah, we've got one last one that uh, I referenced at the beginning of the show. Uh, we have a, a congratulatory voicemail that uh, was left for us. None other than Gene Simmons himself left the message for us. You can, Gene Simmons, who played Verinia in Spartacus, Kirk Douglas's wife. No, the uh, the basis oh. for Kiss. Sorry, I should uh, be more specific. I remember when I was young, I had such uh, – well, it's pre-puberty, so you don't quite know what's going on. But, you know, those early things of lust where, like, for years you've been watching Lucy wrestle the chick in the wine vat. And you've always <laughs> thought, oh, Lucy, Ricky's going to be so mad when he gets home from the Cobra. And then one time you're watching and thinking, yeah, Lucy. All right, mash that grape into that decolletage. Go ahead, Lucy. <laughs> but um, Gene Simmons, and the horn for it, I didn't even know it. But Spartacus came out, and they used to do these road show openings where they would have an intermission, and they'd have a book, and they'd show one a night. And I remember the Spartacus book was like burgundy, and it had gold medallions on it. She played a beautiful woman named Verinia, and Kirk, uh, uh, he seduces her, you know, he professes his love at this little uh, pond, and she's in some sackcloth. She's just ungodly beautiful. But in the book, they had a picture of them all sitting in their director's chairs. This will show you how the dreams of a young boy can be quashed. She was smoking. Now, later in life, you might go through the freakazoid period where you think smoking's hot. But, you know, when you're a kid, it was like, I thought she was so beautiful. And here she is sitting there in a director's chair with Kubrick and Kirk, and she's smoking. I just remember my little heart was like, Virginia. <laughs> anyway, what's uh, Gene Simmons? That's my Gene Simmons story. <laughs> Play the Gene Simmons kiss. Welcome back. Dennis, it's Gene Simmons of the multi-platinum selling musical group Kiss. If you're unfamiliar with our music, you can purchase our entire catalog at your local record store. We love to support our local record stores, but it's also available at Amazon, Walmart, Shopco, Barnes & Noble, Target, and iTunes, all of which are run by robots or something. I don't really understand it. Any, <laughs> excuse me one second, Dennis. Ace, Ace, Daddy's on the phone making Talk Talk with a friend. Go ask Mama Shannon if you can have a Capri Sun, and then please play quietly with your trucks. I apologize for that, Dennis. Anywho, a little bird told me you have a brand new podcast, and as soon as I heard... I have to tell you, I became overjoyed with the idea of telling you about Gene Simmons' vault. I have one right in front of me. <laughs> the Gene Simmons' vault contains 150 never-before-released songs on 10 CDs, packaged in a massive cloth-bound gold-embossed commemorative book featuring dozens of never-before-seen images of me over my 50-year career. The vault also comes with a limited edition Gene Simmons action figure and an in-gene we trust oversized coin. And the entire shebang comes in a specially designed road case. The initial run is a limited edition that will be personally delivered to the purchaser by me. <laughs> now there are three different formats for this. The standard vault experience for $2,000 in which I will meet you and other purchasers at a specified location. The Gene Simmons Vault Experience for $50,000. I will personally make the delivery to your home. And the ultimate Gene Simmons Vault Experience for $100,000. I will literally do anything you ask. Anything. Do you have someone in your life that you can't stand, Dennis? Someone you'd... Peter! Peter, my hands are full and I'm on the phone. Come here and do air quotes for me. Do you have <laughs> someone you'd like me to take care of? Well, I'll do it for 100 large. Thank you, Pete. What did I tell you about eye contact? I, all right, forget it now. Just go. 
So again, congratulations, Dennis, to me on my Gene Simmons vault, and also to you on the new podcast, but mostly to me. See you soon. Ah, touched. Touched that the great Gene Simmons would take time from printing fucking money. Uh, that's our friend Rob Lorich. How is Rob? What a, God, he makes me laugh. With I remember he used to say uh, that uh, tonight the Catman part will be played by a can of Fanta. <laughs> oh, he's so funny. Thank you, my friend. And I have to delineate, I assume, because the real, uh, or demarcate, because the real Gene would be pissed, right? We should get Gene on once. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Can we try to track him down? Uh, yes, he is always interested in promoting Gene Simmons. Nah, he makes me laugh, though. And he's funny, oh, yeah. Gene. He's very uh, funny, yeah. So let's get Gene on. And I think that's the end of the uh, Dennis Miller Option 3. I hope this sounds better. Goss, you got to go back and listen to it. Now, Gosser came up to visit me and put this new system in. But you got to go back and... Uh, Make sure this sounds good because people are pissed. You know, you can only hook them a few times. You know what I mean? At the beginning. And if they just go, oh, they're, they don't have their sound together. So uh, you'll you'll make sure. What is your tat up there, Goss? What is, is it half done? It's an old Vargas girl. Oh, Shotty Goss is like, he looks like John Mulaney in the amniotic sack. You know, the <laughs> sweetest young kid. He's got this uh, tat of a Vargas girl on his shoulder. The kids with their tats today. I'm telling you, California, they do not want to pay for tap removal. Of course, the drunken sailor only pays to get one. Got you, the old guy guy. And uh, Christian, thank you for your time. Stick around. We'll do a sports one. Might be the last. Might be the maiden voyage of this. Or the, uh, the, 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 the Titanic. Yeah. And uh, I have a letter from the Titanic. Can I tell you about that next week? Please, I own one. Please do. It was do. on the Titanic. Can you remind me of that? I will. And uh, I'll do it in Gene Simmons' sort of book. All right. Thank you, folks. And that's the Dennis Miller option. Out.